This is the Boyfriend's Guide to Pop Culture, the podcast where the boyfriend, Nick, guides the girlfriend, Meg, through the world of pop culture. Hello, Ghostbusters. Yes, of course they're serious. You do? You have? No kidding. Uh-huh. Well, just, uh, just give me the address. Uh-huh. Yes, of course. Oh, they'll be totally discreet. All right there, folks. We got a good one for you today on our inaugural podcast of the Boyfriend's Guide to Pop Culture. I'm Nick. And I'm Meg. And we got a good one for you today. Probably my second favorite movie series of all time. Uh, My first one, of course, is Star Wars, but that's neither here nor there. But we're not covering that one today. Today we are covering 1984's Ghostbusters. Yeah. Brought to you by Columbia Pictures. It was directed by Ivan Reitman. It is rated PG, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Runtime is 105 minutes. The budget, 25 to $30 million. Box office returns, $295.2 million. All right. So uh, do you have any prior knowledge to this movie beforehand? Like, did you grow up with this movie at all? Yes, of course, I grew up with this movie. Um, I don't remember exactly when I first saw it. Um, or my first opinions of it were, except that I knew I loved the movie. I do have recollection of being a kid when I broke my leg, being laid up all summer. (laughs) And the Ghostbusters movies were definitely ones that I went to to pass the time. I love the movies. There's so many iconic things um, about the Ghostbusters. I even watched the cartoons as a kid. My brother and I had our proton packs and would chase each other around in the, the blue ones, the, bl- the, the, the ones from the cartoon, the blue ones with the orange things on the back. I guess so. I just yeah. remember these pl- plastic <laughs> things we'd wear on our back. Did you have the firehouse, the, the three-foot-tall firehouse? No, but you know what? Ironically, my brother and I, and well, the house my parents still live in, is actually right next to a, a firehouse, and the firehouse is in our like the end of our backyard. <laughs> so it kind of worked out. Yeah, it's definitely, I don't think it's as tall as the hook and no, ladder. No, it's not the classic. Not that classic one. No. No, I don't think there's any poles people are sliding down. Yeah, they'd have too much fun. You'd actually buy the building if you you had the pole there. Much like one of our characters in yeah, this movie. Sure. Uh, I grew up with this movie, but more importantly, as it tends to be a, a theme running throughout my life, and I guess it's because of television, I grew up with the second ver- the uh, Ghostbusters 2 mm-hmm. instead of Ghostbusters 1. And that's always been a theme in my life. I... Before I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, I saw Temple of Doom, the second one. Technically the first one because it takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it's the second movie in the series. That's a whole other thing. But I'm keeping with the theme of growing up with sequels rather than the first one. But Ghostbusters, there, not too shortly after I, I did watch it and I fell in love with it. Line Aram and this instantly quotable and everything like that. So, uh... Of the Ghostbusters movies, which one's your favorite? The first one or the second? The first one is probably my favorite. The second one is good. It's not as good, but it still it still holds up. Yeah. 
but we'll we'll talk more about that one when we cover it, which we will one day. Yes. Okay. So do you want to give us a uh, breakdown of the movie? Oh, absolutely, I do. Uh, this is bring this is being brought to you by Wikipedia, of course, but I will give you a brief overview of the movie with my own little flares, as I tend to do. So, uh, Peter Venkman, Ray Stantz, and Egon Spengler are scientists at Columbia University investigating the paranormal. Following their first encounter with a ghost manifesting at the New York Public Library, the dean, Dean Yeager, fires them and dismisses the credibility credibility of their research, saying that he basically treats science like a hussy. Interesting. <laughs> In response, they create their own paranormal investigation and elimination service known as the Ghostbusters. They convert a disused firehouse, as we said before, develop high-tech equipment to capture and contain the ghosts, and convert a combination car into the Ecto-1 to support their business. Now, the Ecto-1 is probably my second all-time favorite car. There's a lot of, there's a theme going on here. There's a lot of seconds instead of my first ones, but the Ecto-1 is second. The first one is the DeLorean from Back to the Future, part two. I believe there's some shelving behind my head that has little models of both of those vehicles. Yeah, I kind of snuck, I snuck the DeLorean in, and then after I got the Ecto-1, I got the Ecto-1 yesterday, of course, and it's from the the new Ghostbusters Afterlife movie. The, The old girl's a little worse for wear. She's definitely about 40 years old. You can see rust on her and stuff, but she's a beaut. As I told you, as I told you on a couple of days ago, there's only two things that'll turn a straight man's head. One is a beautiful woman, and one is a classic car. Fair Luckily enough. for me, I have both. Aww. I know I'm so sweet, aren't I? <laughs> okay, getting back into it. Seeing their television ad, a skeptical cellist, Dana Barrett, is initially dismissive, but reluctantly calls them after a paranormal encounter in her kitchen. Now in the kitchen, she has a, a dozen eggs that start popping out by themselves. And uh, if you pay attention subliminally, you, we get our first look at Mr. Stay Puffed, who is kind of our big baddie oh, in yes. this movie. Well, you know, it's funny when we we watched it together in preparation. That was the first time I noticed yeah. that, that that bag of marshmallows sitting there with Mr. Stay Puffed on there. And I'm like, how did I never notice it before? But I guess I was, it was so concentrating on the eggs because I knew that they were going to be doing something. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely, a, I think, a subliminal thing just to, to kind of get you ready for how ridiculous the big reveal is at the end of the movie. Uh, uh, recounting the event, she describes opening her refrigerator and seeing a creature that utters a single word. And that word, Zool. Venkman reassures her and becomes romantically interested, while Ray and Egan research her claims. Business is slow at first until they're hired to remove a ghost from the Sedgwick Hotel. This is where we meet our first ghost. Slimer! Slimer. Now, I, 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 I don't know if you know this or not, but do you know who the, char- the, the character of Slimer is actually based on a famous person? I don't, do you know who that person is? No, who is it? It's uh, basically, it's it's based off the late John Belushi. Oh, cool. Okay, John who Belushi. Who is very good friends with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, the initial script of the movie, the role of Venkman, was to be played by John Belushi. It was Belushi and Aykroyd who were going to be sort of the Venkman and stance of this. The first draft of the movie is kind of ridiculous, and you would have went way over budget. They didn't have really proton packs. They had, like, Harry Potter wands. <laughs> 
to to kind of like get rid of the ghosts and stuff and there was like an element of time travel and stuff that would have been hard to film i do love harry potter but i'm glad they went a different way with this we'll save that for another podcast <laughs> uh as they're chasing the ghost egon warns the group to not do a certain thing that certain thing well, I believe it is to cross the stream. No, it's what? to not cross the stream. Not cross the stream. I Don't said that incorrectly. Don't cross the stream. <laughs> and he asks, "Why? Why? I'm a little fuzzy on the whole good bad thing. Why would that be bad? It's just imagine every molecule molecule in your body exploding at the speed. No, let me rephrase that." Ugh. Imagine life as you know it ending instantaneously as every molecule in your body explodes at the speed of light. Sounds pretty scary. That's bad. Yeah. As Peter would say. Uh, so, yeah, Egon wants to not cross the streams because that could cause a catastrophic explosion. They capture their first ghost and deposit it in a special containment unit in their firehouse. Uh, then we go through what classic 80s movie has a montage ah the classic 80s montage you gotta have a montage that's right as the, the fellows at south park would say montage and what's uh playing is it the classic 80s song yet the ghostbusters tune yes there is a famous na, 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 na. i don't know if we can sing that i don't think we own the rights there's uh, no i don't think we do who are we gonna call who yeah ghostbusters yeah there you go <laughs> Oddly enough about that song, uh, uh, if you listen to the tune, uh, the, the writer, Ray Parker Jr., was sued by Huey Lewis in the news because it sounds suspiciously suspiciously like the news tune, I Want a New Drug. So, uh, but ultimately, yeah, Huey Lewis in the news did win on that, so Ray Parker Jr. doesn't get the money for that song. He doesn't own the rights either. He doesn't own the rights either. Ah. <laughs> but he does get money off of the phrase, who you going to call? I was listening to a, a radio station recently where they, they mentioned, he mentions, I've, you know, I lost that, but I've, the, the phrase, who are you going to call, I get money off of. Not Ghostbusters, because if you, you can add anything to who you're going to call, but ultimately, when you say who you're going to call, you always say Ghostbusters. I mean, there's been many times in my life that I've heard people say, who are you going to call, or something similar phrasing, and my immediate thought is, Ghostbusters. Well, that's, I said, I remember a year ago, I sent you a test message. I said, if you needed help with, like, wrapping Christmas presents and stuff, I said, well, you know who you can call, meaning myself. But then I get back, Ghostbusters, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> just made me laugh my ass off. <sighs> We're meant to be. Okay. So, yeah, there's the montage where their uh, business is starting, business is basically booming. Uh, so to, to cope with the high demand, they hire a fourth member, Winston Zenimore, played by Ernie Hudson. Uh, suspicious of their operation, uh, in comes in uh, an environmental protection agency agent mm. known as Walter Peck, or Pecker, or Dickless, as we like to call him. Uh, he asks to evaluate their equipment, but leaves, Venkman, leaves after Venkman insults him. Basically, they just have contempt for each other. When you're watching the scene, uh, Peter refers to him, himself as a doctor, but as as the scene goes on, Peck just constantly calls him Mr. Mr. Oh. Venkman, Mr. Venkman. Peck, it's 
doctor. I have a doctor. You call me doctor. Well, Peck's also very arrogant and entitled. He thinks that he just has the right to see what they do there and all of that. And he's rude from the beginning as well. Yeah. That's basically the gist of the character. Walter Peck is played by William Atherton, who I consider in the 80s, like, king of douchebag. You know, with him and uh, Billy Zabka from The Karate Kid, you know, they're kind of like king douchebags. And they've always kind of sort of played douchebags. Like, Atherton plays the dick in Ghostbusters. He plays the dick in uh, Die Hard. He plays the dick in the movie Biodome. <laughs> but that's in the 90s and this, that, and the other thing. So he's kind of like king dick. So much so that even after the movie come out, he'd be walking down the street and people go, hey, dickless, just to him and all that stuff. At well, least trying to make up for, you know, something there. <laughs> so as this is going on, privately, Egon warns the team that the increase in supernatural activity is becoming dangerous. He basically throws out a, a scenario of what the supernatural activity is using a Twinkie. He says to to kind of signify what the activity would be. It would be a, a Twinkie over 35 feet long and weighing, I don't know, over 500 pounds to when Winston says that's a big Twinkie. So uh, the, the, the containment unit is falling under stress. Uh, meanwhile, Peter goes back to Dana's and, and he shares that Zul was a demigod worshipped as his servant to Gozer the Gozerian, a shape-shifting god of destruction. Uh, he convinces Dana to discuss... To dis- he convinces Dana to discuss her case further over dinner. However, when Dana returns home, she is supernaturally assaulted and possessed by Zul. In a nearby apartment, a nearly identical entity manifests and chases her neighbor, Louis Tully. We meet him earlier in the movie. What play. are these things that are attacking them? They're like gargoyle creatures. They're right? like demon dogs. Demon dogs. They're from the gargoyles that are on the building that yeah. they live in. Yes. Did we talk about Louis? No, we didn't talk about Louis. The. Basically, before uh, Dana goes into her apartment, before her first encounter with Zul, uh, she's walking down her hallway, and uh, her neighbor, Louis Tully, comes out, played by the great Rick Moranis. Uh, initially, that was the the role of Louis Tully was supposed to go to John Candy, but uh, he wanted the character to have like, a thick German accent. He wouldn't drop it. So eventually, I think under Candy's like direction, said, why don't you just go with Rick Moranis? He's, he'll probably give you what he want. So we got... I love John Candy, but I think Rick Moranis nailed that role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a, a, a good part in that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, in in his apartment, the other demon dog uh, who calls itself Vince Clortho chases him through Central Park and then possesses him. Uh, soon after, Venkman arrives to her apartment and finds Dana possessed by Zool. She claims to be the gatekeeper. Uh, <laughs> like a whole scene in that involves uh, one of my favorite lines to throw out to people. It comes from that encounter where he's he's trying he's trying to get Dana to talk, but she's she's possessed by this demon, and he he just asks her, "I want to talk to Dana. I want to take talk to Dana." And then Dana just ultimately says, "There is no Dana, only soul." What lovely singing voice you have. <laughs> I like to throw that one out to people, especially like... Well, 
Well, on days like today, you don't have to even do that. You just show the shirt you're wearing. Oh yeah, it's a it's a there is no Dana only Zool kind of like in a like a like a Roy Lichtenstein uh, like comic book thing with Sigourney Weaver as Zool. Uh, like uh, I like to I like to throw that line out to people named Dana, boys and girls. Just like my name's Dana. I'm just like, what was that? My name's Dana. There is no Dana, only Zool. <laughs> I'm sure they love it. About 80% of the time I get puzzled looks and it's just like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm just, I guess you're not a Ghostbusters fan. Tisk uh, tisk. Yep. Okay. What happens next? Well, ultimately Lewis himself is, is uh, possessed by the demon dog. Uh, he takes on the, the avatar of Vince Clortho, the key master. Uh, he gets arrested and is brought to the Ghostbusters headquarters uh, Peter calls and says, you know, I have, I have the gatekeeper over here. Maybe we should get these two together to which Egon says, I think that would probably be extraordinarily bad. Uh, it, it took me a while to realize, you know, the not so subtleness of gatekeeper and, uh, and, uh, key master, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, Walter Peck returns with law enforcement and city workers to have the Ghostbusters arrested and orders the deactivation of their ghost containment unit. Uh, stress beyond capacity, this shutdown causes an, an explosion and releases the captured ghost. And as the ghosts are kind of released through the top of the the, the, the firehouse, we have our, our second look at Mr. Stay Puffed. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was on a building, like a... There's a building, like a paintboard mural thing uh, announcing Stay Puffed Marshmallows. So that's another subtle thing. That they introduce into that. Don't we get kind of like a second little eighties montage, sort of thing of all the ghosts release out through the city. Yeah, going uptown as uh, uh, Vin's Louis Tully, Louis Tully basically says that this is the sign of the coming of Gozer. So he he basically follows the ghost uptown back to Dana's apartment. Uh, as he goes back to into her apartment, he meets Dana, and he announces, "I am the key master." I am the gatekeeper. So those two get together, and ultimately you don't see it, but they they kind of knock boots. You know, Keymaster opens the gatekeeper. And as a kid, you don't really pick that. I honestly didn't pick it up until about ten years ago that it's a sexual. I didn't pick it thing. up for a while either. I mean, they definitely it's very subtle, um, and there is a deleted scene that further alludes to that's what happens in order to you know. Yeah. Have a gozer come. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, phrasing there. Yeah, oops. Okay. <laughs> so as this is happening, uh, the Ghostbusters are in jail, and Ray and Egon reveal that Dana's building is the true source of the supernatural increase. The uh, architect, Evo Shandor, is a leader of a Gozer warshipping cult, and it was the building was basically designed to channel ghosts for the purpose of ending the world. Now, as we were watching that sh that scene, uh, it, it's a sort of blink and you miss it type thing, where uh, a cop comes in and tells the the Ghostbusters, you know, the mayor wants to see you, mm -hmm. and I have I have a theory about that. What's your theory? Well, bas the basically the cop is played by Reginald Val Johnson. Now, if anybody knows who Reginald Val Johnson is, uh, he plays Carl Winslow. Last time I said Weathers and I screwed that up. But he plays the cop Carl Winslow in the show Family Matters, Matters, 
and he also plays the 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 cop in uh, Die Hard. So my my theory was he basically left New York City after all this Ghostbuster stuff went down. Uh, then the stuff goes down with Die Hard. He basically changes his name, then moves to Chicago and lives as Carl Winslow. Has a family, lives happily ever after, has an annoying neighbor named Steve Urkel. Yeah, Got it. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we'll be doing a little tracking of Reginald Val Johnson uh, as a police officer and a lot of things. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it goes past those three roles, but really? hey. I feel like there was others, but we can look into it. Yeah, I don't but, I, you would know. I'm not the expert. Yeah, so uh, they're 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 basically led out of the jail and faced with the chaos in the cities. The Ghostbusters try to convince the mayor to release them, despite uh, Walter Peck's protests. You know, Peck is always he's convinced that none of this is real; that it's all just a light show, and they just reveal, you know release toxic gas you know being that he's the environmental protection agency guy he just released gas and people are hallucinating stuff like that to I, I think he's a little jealous there's something there well you know i think that the problem is that he's probably lacking somewhere you know as peter would go yes, on to say true. this man has no dick yeah that's probably what the problem was <laughs> uh so they ultimately get the the mayor's approval and they head up to Dana's apartment. Uh, on the apartment roof, Zul and Vince open the gate between dimensions, not before like ship shape shifting into the demon dogs. Which Peter goes, okay, so what? She's a dog. So they open the gate between dimensions and transform into their supernatural selves. Uh, as they open the gate, then appears uh, our big baddie, Gozer. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Gozer appears in the form of a woman, but initially the role was supposed to be played by Paul Rubens. Oh, you may know him better as Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> but I don't know how well that would have translated. You know, there would have been some humor to that for sure. Yeah. Are you a god? <laughs> no, 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 I don't think that would have worked. Yeah. So basically, uh, Ray attempts to reason with her first. But when this fails, Gozer attacks, forcing the Ghostbusters to attempt to trap her, but she disappears. Her disembodied voice demands that the Ghostbusters choose the form of the Destructor. Uh-oh. Uh, Ray, they, they kind of sort of just be like, well, if we if we think of J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover is going to appear and, and uh, take us down. Yes, and why on earth did J. Edgar Hoover did not just appear at that moment? That's kind of... basically brought him up or already thought of I don't somebody. think that would have been a good villain, you know? No, I agree. The director of but... the FBI cross-dressing, <laughs> you know, walking down Central Park West, you know, attacking the... Go I don't think that would have been good. So they, they, they try to empty their minds, but Gozer says, okay, the form of the destructor has been chosen. And they're just like, well, I didn't say... It. I didn't think of anything. Peter says, did you think of anything? He got no. He goes to Winston. What about you? Just my mind's totally blank. But, but then somebody is ultimately not speaking up. So they, they look at Ray and they just go, Ray, did you think of anything? And he just goes, oh, I, I couldn't help it. It just popped in there. And all of a sudden you hear this noise in the background and they go to the edge of the building. They look and they just, they just, you just see a head 
walking between the buildings. Well, you also hear like the thumps. You hear the, the thumps of it, of it in of the background. Footsteps. They just look, and you just see this head, like this this marshmallow, happy, happy smiling smiling. face, and they just can't believe it. And, and the, just Peter looks at Ray, and and then ultimately just Ray says probably the best line that always makes me laugh every single time I hear it. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's just so ridiculous. It was supposed to be like a playoff of like Godzilla and stuff like that. But basically you have this 112 and a half foot marshmallow man walking, attacking him. That's actually his real height, by the way, is 112 feet. They 112 and a half feet. 112 and a half feet marshmallow man? No, it's, no it's basically a six foot guy. But to, to scale in the buildings, it's, it's real life scale is 112 and a half feet. Okay. There was kind of like a happy medium. They're just like, well, maybe we should make him like 300 feet tall. He's just like, no, that's too big. Well, let's make him 100 foot tall. Well, that's too small. Let's go somewhere in the middle, but not really. We'll just, just 12 make feet more. 12 and a half feet more. <laughs> so uh, they don't know what to do. This, so he start, He comes up to the building. He's about to attack it. So they attack him with the, their proton packs and... That just pisses him off, so he starts climbing up the building. So Egon has a, a radical idea. We're going to do something that I told you not to do. Let's just cross the streams because the gate goes both ways, and the only way we're going to close that is if we basically cause a nuclear explosion on the top of this building. So lacking any other ideas and you know, basically saying that there might be a slim chance of survival, they go through with that, and ultimately the gate closes. The top of the building explodes. Mr. Staypuff is vaporized and, you know, spills spills his load, so to say, on top of Walter Peck down in the street, like the ultimate final insult to Mr. Dickless there. Well, I just got to put a note out there because I always love seeing it is um, watching Mr. Staypuff's face throughout this whole thing. <laughs> you know, his, you know, happy expression and then as he's getting attacked and just the whole thing is quite hilarious like when he looks face. up at them too he just gets pissed off and you're like uh oh <laughs> yeah like, mother puss bug it <laughs> yeah. but then you notice when they're like when they're when they're doing their their thing to they're crossing the streams you can see him in the background go oh shit like his oh shit face like <laughs> yeah. no don't do that in the form of this big happy stay puff marshmallow man like it's 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 you gotta watch it. Yeah, stay, stay tuned to that, especially if, when it's appearing in the background. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they close the gate. Everything explodes. Uh, the, the day is saved, but they they ultimately come across uh, Dana's Zool avatar, kind of like frozen in concrete, like you know, and it doesn't smell good. Race race says it smells like burnt dog hair, and they ultimately think that Dana they killed. The nice lady who paid in advance before she became a dog. And Lewis. And Lewis. But the, 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 the Peter doesn't really care about him. He cares more about her. But then all of a sudden you hear a noise and an arm breaks through. So it looks like she was okay. And Lewis was okay too. <laughs> and Lewis kind of asks, you know, who does your taxes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the day is saved. Uh, Winston gives, gives the final line of the movie saying, I love this town. And then credits roll and. That's basically all of Ghostbusters there for you. Wow. Well, uh, thank you so much for that uh, rundown. Yeah. I know. I had a lot of hymns and halls, and I t 
took a break there and that stuff, but that's... Well, I think actually you and I are going to take a real break right now, and then we're going to get into some further discussion. Yes. All right, everybody, we're back from our break. Uh, just want to lead off uh, after our discussion and rundown of uh, all the events that happened in Ghostbusters that I have uh, a little drink that I made for all of us here. Uh, mo probably more iconic than like Slimer or the Ecto-1. Probably, definitely on the same level, especially for me, is the drink that came out with the, the, the real Ghostbusters cartoon. And that, of course, is High Seas Ecto Cooler. Yes, yes. But we don't have High Seas Ecto Cooler, do we? No, we, we don't. Unfortunately, they they discontinued it in 2016. They brought it back for the the female reboot of Ghostbusters. Uh, when that came out, I tried to snag up as much as I could, but I ran through it in about two months. <laughs> My friend Chris, he brought a stock, he bought a stockpile, and uh, he has his own. He's, I think he still has it. And it probably turned around 2018 or so. Mm. It's now 2021, so I don't think it's any good. But the, the last time he gave me a case, just for for like nostalgia purposes, and it was it was starting to turn. Gotcha. Not that it can really. It's not like wine; it doesn't get better with age, mm. even though it does have sugar and it probably could have fermented. But that's neither here nor there. So we came up with an Ersatz version of the Ecto Cooler that I got offline. Uh, Basically, I got this off of a YouTube channel uh, brought to you from the Ghostbusters Chicago division where they created their their version of Ecto Cooler to get it as close as they possibly could. Well, I think it's pretty close. We've been sipping on it throughout, and uh, it's, it's pretty tasty. Do you want the, the ingredients? Yes, Everything please share you want them here? so our listeners can create their own Ecto Cooler. Uh, yeah, so basically the ingredients are... You want three-fourths of a cup of tangerine juice, three-fourths of a cup of orange juice, one tablespoon of country thyme lemonade mix, two tablespoons of orange drink mix, any Kool-Aid would probably do. It's probably, you probably want to go for the orange tangerine mix. I have the orange drink mix. That's probably why it tastes a little bit off. Uh, 10 to 14 cups of water. You're going to be making a gallon of this stuff. Okay. Uh, one and a half cups of sugar, and then some green and blue food coloring. Uh, the first uh, instruction is to pour the tangerine juice and orange juice into a gallon jug. Add the lemon and orange drink, mix and stir in until everything is dissolved. It's going to be cold, so it might take a little while to stir it, but you want to you stir it up really good. Uh, second, pour the water and add the sugar and stir Somebody told me that if you take the the two cups or the one and a half cups of sugar and then cook it with another one and a half cups of water, basically have a simple syrup. Mm. That way it's more dissolved. You could probably do it that way and then add it and then add your 10 to 14 cups of water. But if if you already have another cup of water, some like nine cups. Uh, and then after everything is all incorporated, you add about four drops of the green Food coloring, it might look a little bit off, so have some blue f food coloring in there, too. Add about two uh, two drops of that. Mix it to get together, and you got yourself some your own homemade Ecto Cooler. 
Yummy. Well, I suggest people play around with that recipe. Maybe make some and watch Ghostbusters. Yeah, definitely play around with the recipe because I, I, we've tasted it here. We've all tasted it here. It's close. It is very close. The only problem is you said. I think it needs to, a little bit more of a, a sour touch to a it. A little bit more citrusy. Yeah, so, and, and you mentioned that you think you put 14 cups of water in yeah. it, but you think that maybe a little less of the water. A little bit less water. It's a, it's a little too watery, too. So yeah. maybe go with the 10 instead of the 14 cups. Yeah. That'll probably do you, you fine. Start with 10 and taste it and, you know, you could play around until yeah. it gets to the right flavor for you. Yeah, this is definitely one of these ones that I'm not, I'm not content on making it once. I'm probably gonna. I'm definitely gonna make it more of it, and I'll probably get diabetes. We'll probably all get diabetes, but from all the stuff that we. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Get maybe the diet version. Maybe you can experiment. Maybe with the against diet high seas wishes, I'll start selling this and to just call it something different. Mm. <laughs> just make up my own uh, name for it. I gotta get, like. I I think we have like a general consensus, but if I. If I break it down more, add more of this, maybe a little bit less than that, I'll, I'll eventually get it spot on. Make our own Slimer juice. Yeah, maybe that's what we'll call it. We'll call it a uh, we'll call it slime juice, something like that. I kind of always linked. I don't know why I always looked linked it with Slimer, so I just that's yeah. what I think of. Well, it's because his picture is yeah his picture is on the side. Yeah, yeah, growing so, up. Well, speaking of, so let's like just chat about you know the fun things about it let's talk first about the actors and who, who played everybody well the role the the title role of peter bankman was played by the great bill murray yes yes um he's got quite a little you know he's quite a character in in, in the movie oh yeah he's he's definitely a person that i like to <laughs> i don't want to say like i model myself off of him but definitely his smart assness mm. and it, his sarcasm and, and his humor is somebody that I absolutely love. Of course, everybody absolutely loves Bill Murray. Of course, yes, great comedian. Uh, yeah, our second character is Ray Stance, and that's played by the great Dan Aykroyd. Yes. Who's great in his own right. Uh, you know, stuff like Trading Places, which is one of my favorite movies. His stuff on SNL was great. Uh, be, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the the kind of the, the, the writing of Ghostbusters, uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd himself is a known paranormal like investigator not like investigator but he's he's big in the paranormal because his father was a huge like paranormal i think he was an investigator something like that i did not know that about that oh yeah yeah so So that's kind of where the writing of ghostbusters came up gotcha and he wrote that um with harold ramus right yes he did harold ramus played by plays uh the great egon spengler yes kind of the brains of the operation uh if you if you had to put it in terms Basically, like always sunny in Philadelphia terms, uh, Bill Murray is the wild card. Ray Stance is the heart. Uh, Egon Spangler is the brains, and that's Harold Ramis. And so Winston coming. I guess he's the brawn. I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Winston, of course, is played by the great Ernie Hudson. Uh, Ernie went on to, to say later that his character, a lot of it was kind of cut out. He had a, a bigger role. Mm. in this movie actually the the uh the casting they wanted eddie murphy to play the role of winston zenimore uh the role of winston he was kind of like an this air force guy he's like a demolitions expert type thing i guess he was kind of supposed to be like the mr t b a baracus like a team type guy and mm. the, 
the, the movie like with wisecracks and stuff. But I guess since they couldn't get any Murphy, they kind of cut the part back and gave it more to to Bill Murray. You know, I think Eddie Murphy would have done a great job. It would have been very funny. But, you know, I think that Ernie Hudson did a terrific job. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. I love him in that role. And, you know, he'll, he'll be iconic in that role oh, yeah. forever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Then we get on to our, our secondary characters. Uh, Dana Barrett, played by the great Sigourney Weaver. I'm I, Every one of these actors, I just keep calling great or this, that. I just said, like, you're like, the great. They're great. <laughs> the great, you know. They are all great. They're all great. Uh, <laughs> of course, before this movie, she's known for Alien. Alien, which is one of, it's, oh, it's terrifying. Even still to this day, is terrifying. So, but this is, I don't know what she gets recognized more for. I would think she gets recognized more for Ghostbusters than Alien. No, I, I I think I disagree. Even though Alien is fantastic. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, well, we'll, f- I'm sure, cover Alien at some point in our yeah. podcast. But, you know, I saw her much more, know her much more personally through Ghostbusters. But I feel like just a lot of the references when it comes to her, I feel like she's linked to Alien quite a, oh, yeah. a lot. So. The character of R- Ripley is probably one of the all-time badass female characters ever yes so uh then our next character is lewis tolley played by rick moranis sorry i was trying not to add the great in there again so i kind of paused there for a second (laughs) (laughs) he is great though he is great yeah second city uh second city television which was kind of like the canadian version of saturday night live only it wasn't really filmed in front of a live audience and so he's really terrific in that regard too. Of course, goes on to play in one of my favorite Mel Brooks comedies, Spaceballs is Dark Helmet. That's another terrific role for him there too. I feel like he's a big part of my childhood and a lot of the things that he acted in, you know. Um Honey I Shrunk the Kids oh, yeah. and um <laughs> Little Giants. Yes, Little Giants. Little Giants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. So, you know, I, I miss him, you know. He's he took a step back from acting, but he has always been a terrific actor. Yeah, yeah, he took a step back about 20 years ago after his wife unfortunately passed away from cancer to raise his kids. But uh, I think they're adults now, and I don't know why he doesn't come back. Well, that's we all miss choice. you, Rick. Please come back. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be listening to this, but still, please come back. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds had that great Mint commercial, you know, where he brought him back, but then ultimately some jerk up in New York City punched him in the face. Ugh. I don't know why people are just a-holes. <laughs> we can get a... The whole other topic. Yeah, that's there. a whole other thing. But uh, then, what, what about the receptionist for the Ghostbusters? The, the receptionist, Janine Melnitz, that of course is played by Annie Potts. Yes, we love Annie Potts. Yeah. And uh, you love her from Designing Women. Yes, I watched <laughs> Designing Women in my younger year, years as a kid. I remember, you know, but also obviously her, you know, her as Annie Potts. And I think that once we get to the second Ghostbusters movie. Um, which will not be their, our next episode, but we will get be getting to it. Yeah. Uh, it, her her character transforms quite a bit, so we'll have to discuss that. Yeah, she becomes more of a sex pot. A little bit. Yeah. I, I, but she's very interested in. Um, you know, she's very in, interested, you know, in. Um, I'm going to get his name wrong. I'm Lewis. No, 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 no. That's in the second movie. Oh. In the first movie. In Egon. And he, she's interested in Egon. Oh, yeah. You know, and he's not, doesn't seem phased by her at all. No. <laughs> but she comes in pretty strong. Yeah. 
I I'm, I'm, I have my own like theory on the, the this new Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, from what I'm guessing, I think if you've seen the trailer at all, they mentioned the grandfather, this, that, and the other thing, and you kind of go through and probably expect it to be Egon because unfortunately Harold Ramis did pass away. And that would be cool and all that stuff. But I think the the mother is probably definitely Annie Potts. Mm. But you think to yourself in the second movie, wasn't she kind of macking on Lewis a little bit? Yeah, but I'm assuming that Rick Moranis did not come back for this movie. No, so. I don't. I don't think that's the case. I definitely think they go the Egon route. But I I shared with you yesterday that maybe if they pull the rug out from under us. Like they they do like a last minute surprise thing, where Lewis basically just took all of Egon's stuff and like stored all the Ghostbusters stuff away, and he comes back. I said even if that would be the case, I would lose my absolute shit. Even if he did, like <laughs> I don't think that'll be the case. Little appearance. Oh yeah, you know, would be awesome. That would be worth the price um, of admission right there. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> let's not try to get our hopes up for that. No, but because um, I respect. Probably not the choices, case. no matter what. Yeah. But um, it would be cool. <laughs> yeah, and then of course we have our our final credited role uh, of Mister Dickless himself, William Atherton, playing EPA agent Walter Peck. So there's your cast for you. It's a great cast. Yep. Comedic gold there. Yeah, basically everybody at the top of their game. It's just everybody, you know, Murray and Aykroyd. And and uh, and uh, Ramis, uh, basically, he basically Ramis was mo- more known for his directing and writing he, before Ghostbusters. He had done uh, Caddyshack, of course, and even before that. Well, no, I think after yeah, Caddyshack was his first movie, and then after that, of course, we have National Lampoon's Vacation. But then he kind of sort of came in into his own acting with Bill Murray again. Well, firstly in. Uh, Ivan Reitman's Stripes, which is, and then you have, of course, Ivan Reitman, the director. So everybody at the top of the game, special effects people at the top of their game, too, people who worked on movies like Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, E.T., movies like that, Rages of the Lost Ark, basically at the top of their game. They had to come up with some, like, the special effects budget was not necessarily razor thin, but they they had to... They had to come up with some good stuff. And then I think mostly those are puppets, especially like Slimer. Slimer is a puppet. Well, I think they did a great job with the special effects. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, just seeing the ghosts flying around and, and, and th- things like that. You know, I, I've, I always felt like there's certain parts, obviously, you know, like it's pretty fake or whatever. But, you know, for an 80s movie, it was excellent. It special still holds effects. up. It, it really does. Especially the tracking shots of like the, the demon dogs running through the park. You can still, if you look, you can see it blocked out and you mm-hmm. can see the block following it along across the street. Yeah. You think after so many years you could erase that, but I, I guess that just keeps up with the charm of the yeah. movie. Well, they, yeah, they really had some for people working on, the, on that movie and they knew they had a, they had, they knew they had something good. Oh, yeah. Invest that much into it. Yeah, highest grossing comedy movie for about I don't know how many years until 1990, but it basically it was dethroned by Home Alone as one of the the top comedies of its time, and it's one of the rare, very rare horror comedies. Mm. It's funny that you it's even considered horror comedy. I think about it as a kid, like even as a kid, I don't think it ever scared me. No, 
it's more comedy than it is horror. Maybe yeah. a little bit of science fiction, but it does have some scary elements to it. So, is there any other guest stars in the movie that are you know kind of hidden in there? Um. Well, there is like a, a blink, and you you kind of sort of miss it cameo uh, when. Uh, Louis Tully, Rick Moranis is being chased through the park. Uh, he comes to what I think is like Tavern on the Green. It looks like Tavern on the Green in New York. But uh, you pointed out that when, uh, the people don't notice the the demon dog at all. Well, I had said I thought it was odd that when the demon dog, so it, he when he first appears, the one that chases Louis anyway. Uh huh. First appears, it's in it's during the party he's holding in his apartment in on the bed in his bedroom. Yeah. And then you hear growling and someone he thinks someone brought a dog. Yeah. It bursts out into the party. Everyone in the party notices it. They mm-hmm. freak out. And the funny thing is he doesn't attack another male, you know, that's there at the party. He follows Lewis out of the building and other people as the as this creature is running through the building notice it. But when it comes to him approaching this restaurant that the, the walls, the doors, windows, it's all glass. You can see, they can see Lewis running up and trying to get in to this restaurant. Um, but they don't see, see the dog. They don't register it. You don't see it. It's almost like they just see Lewis and they don't see anything. Like else. it's a and, figment of his imagination or something. Right. And even his whole running through the park, getting up to that restaurant, no one else seems to register this demon dog i think i have a simple answer for you it's new york city nobody cares <laughs> you could walk through the middle of of Times square naked and i'm sure people have done this and nobody's gonna bat an eye basically new yorkers stay out of Times square but you know you walk around anywhere in new york city doing bizarre stuff nobody's gonna notice so that's where i think that they did that but anyway getting back to it uh it's a blink and you'll miss a type thing but even then you'll you won't even see it but uh from what I heard, and I think she confirms this too, uh, the singer Debbie Gibson has, she's one of the little girls having a birthday party in the restaurant. Oh, okay, that's yeah. cool. Like, if you watch it, sitting at the table with the balloons and stuff, there's like a little girl with a bow in her hair. You don't really see her face, but it, that's, her, that's her. Oh, yeah. That's cool. It's be fun to be, you know, have this secret little spotlight that only you know about in a, in a popular movie yeah <laughs> and we have uh two famous uh cameos uh radio cameos maybe radio and television uh the first one of course is casey Kasem. yes talking about you know the ghostbusters the ghostbusters during the the montage on you know the ghostbusters are building up their rep basically casey Kasem saying you know the the boys uh slugged it out with a pretty pesky poltergeist but then spent the rest of the night dancing with the ladies and stuff like that mm. and doesn't um what else about casey case you had told me before oh yeah uh, during the party uh when he's going around and, and party doing during lewis's party uh a woman gets up and says lewis i'm leaving very tall statuesque woman that's casey Kasem's wife oh cool casey Kasem's late wife oh. um and we have a, there's another little during that montage with the, the they're becoming famous and there's you know news articles and TV appearances um, and commercials and we I think you know this person actually just recently passed yeah so let's talk about it passed away yesterday uh the great fantastic larger than life radio and television host Larry King yes. who unfortunately passed away at 87 years old 
Yes, yes. We will miss him for sure. Yeah. Um, we weren't expecting to have to, uh, you know, say this about him, him in this record recording. No, I, we knew he was in a bad way with uh, a bit. He had COVID-19, mm. but uh, Larry King being Larry King, you know, you thought he was going to be this because, you know. <laughs> I feel like he's been around forever. And I oh, feel yeah. Like it's one of those things like he was always going to be around forever because not only is he in our world, he has appeared as himself on how many other movies and TV shows TV shows like he's just you know integrated our universe with you know the fictional universes Uh of so many things that we've watched so it's just kind of you know I don't know he's a staple for sure that we just lost Mm -hmm. rest in peace yes so uh kind of uh I guess you know why this movie is so great is like I said before it basically has lines that are infinitely quotable you can bring up in any situation like i mentioned before one of my go-tos is there is no dana only zool just to kind of break the ice and to to kind of be an asshole but i think that's like what kind of sort of guides people and you know once you throw out those lines and somebody throws them back to you you're just like okay we're we're kind of we're simpatico we'll be linked forever (laughs) That's kind of what's gotten me through my life with, you know, I'm a, a, a pop culture miasma of stuff that I can just throw out and anything is infinitely relatable. Well, you and I kind of first linked up through a pop culture reference. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we should bring it up now. We can let's let's later. save that for another thing. But I got something on me that's, you know, pop culture related. We'll get into that okay. another time. <laughs> um. So are there any other quotes that we have not heard that are ones that you, you know, think about a lot or you think are iconic of the of the movie? Mm. <laughs> the the Mr. Stay Puff one is is really good. Uh just that 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 uh that realization of just something that's like the eminent doom, but it's just so cute and, and cuddly and stuff like that. And then, of course, Venkman always has, like, the best lines. And then at the beginning of the movie at the library, they're, just, they're talking about the, the book stacking. And Peter just goes, yes, no human could stack this in any way. Uh, yes, I guess no human could just stack books laid on top of each other. Completely <laughs> symmetrical. <laughs> then Ray has a, a little line after that. He's... <laughs> it's just totally two different senses at once. Listen. You smell something? <laughs> just listen. You smell that? You smell something? Do we have that clip too of of um of Janine and and uh, her interviewing Winston? Yeah, we do. That's a little little rundown of just the basically the the job interview. Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? <laughs> uh, if there's a steady paycheck involved, I believe anything you tell me. <laughs> That's another thing, a, a line that Winston has towards the end of the movie. He goes, this job is definitely not worth eleven five a year. <laughs> Just be like, I wonder how much that, I think it was... I think I kind of figured it out. It's about five seventy-five an hour. Do we know what 
minimum wage back then. Yeah, back in 1984. It's probably lower. Right now, it's about 725, but back then it was probably lower. So maybe that was, you were raking in the big books back in 84. Not. <laughs> given everything they went, they went through, <laughs> not big enough bucks. Probably not. <laughs> um, although we had discussed briefly about um, the hotel manager from the Sedgwick, you know, getting all upset about all the damage they did and almost refusing to pay what was it, five thousand dollar bill? Five thousand dollars. They yeah. shelled out for catching Slimer. Yeah. And um, you know, but I said, you know, I think that being a Ghostbuster, I'd be expecting to, to pay a pretty heavy penny to get. Ghosts taken out. I mean, it would suck all the destruction that was done. I think they just jacked up their prices because they've gone through the last of their petty cash. That too. Because they, they just they basically right before it, they're sitting around the table saying, Peter says, I'm going to need some petty cash for this customer. And Ray says, well, this feast is the last of the petty cash. And then Peter just looks at Ray and says, chew your food. Just enjoy it with the last of the stuff. So yeah. after their first Ghostbusters stuff, they're kind of sort of in the position to charge what they want. And that's when they're f- they get their very first call. And we see them going down the poles of the firehouse. Uh-huh. You know. The Ecto-1 pulls out. And it's it's all decked out in its glory and just driving through the streets of, yeah. of New York. They didn't have any permits for for. I think to shoot the the car at first. So if you notice during the montage when the car's driving down the street, there's basically a a security guard chasing after the car. And he was really chasing after the car, saying you can't be here and do that stuff. Did we get into the details of the kind of car that that the Ecto-1 is? It's a a hearse. Yes, which I... Love, yeah, because it's it just adds another element of it being funny. This hearse that they, you know, obviously you're talking about death, ghosts, mm-hmm. whatnot, but then also then then their vehicle that they paint white and deck out with, you know, the lights and the sirens, um, you know, uh, becomes their vehicle to go and chase down ghosts. Yeah, so some more irony to the whole movie. Yeah, it's definitely one of those iconic ones. Whenever you see it, you know. Yes. All right. So, any other interesting facts or things that you want to share? No, I don't think so. I think I've I've kind of run the gamut on stuff like that. I'm sure we'll think of things other at other times, but there are other Ghostbusters movies that we will be viewing. Yes. The second one with this original cast. Um, one that I begrudgingly don't want to watch. But we will watch it for our listeners. We have to watch and it we'll for posterity. Cover it. We're going to sprinkle in different things through <laughs> between other pop culture references. So our next episode, um, we're actually going to be choosing each other's episodes. And I decided we needed to go back to the um, what I think of when I think of pop culture and things I don't know enough about and things I needed to watch. What would that be, hon? Um, I think that would be the original Star Wars movie. Oh, you want to watch A New Hope? A New Hope. Was that, they call it episode four Episode now? four, yes. Yes, okay. So I think that's where we need to start. Start with what came out first. Oh, I'm going to be in all my glory for that um, one. I'm sure you will be. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we'll probably cover those those three original movies and uh, do some other thing. And uh, do you want to sign us off there, Nick? Yes, I do. That's uh, all the time we have for the Boyfriend's Guide to Pop Culture. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and smash, smash, smash that subscribe button. You can find us at anchor.fm slash popcultureguide or email us at popcultureguidepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Nick. And I'm Meg. We're signing off. And as always... 
Stay fit, keep sharp, make good decisions.